month of April, now beginning in the month of May. Uh, in the Old Testament, we finished up with the book of Joshua, and uh, we are therefore moving into the book of Judges, and moving through the book of Judges. And uh, I, I want to share something with you before we actually look at a specific verse of Scripture uh, to study from tonight. And uh, that is, in reading the Old Testament sometimes, <clears throat> it can be a little bit confusing. In fact, uh, uh, my father-in-law and I were discussing his He's reading through the Bible this year as well, how that sometimes we look at the Old Testament scriptures and uh, there's a lot of bloodshed, there's a lot of gory details, there's a lot of uh, uh, perverse details, and you're reading through the Bible and you're perhaps wondering, um, is this relevant, first of all, and why is there this bloodshed, for instance, examples where God will give a commandment and then the children of Israel would go in and wipe out all the people living in a community, whether they're adults, innocent, children, whatever. And uh, as you read through this and you're thinking, my goodness, this is pretty violent and uh, pretty gory. And uh, not only does it seem like God is allowing this, but he's sanctioning it and even commanding them to do such a thing. There's some things that you must understand about the Old Testament uh, in order to really gain um, insight and, and usefulness, and not to have your faith challenged as you read through the Old Testament. Very important to understand about the Old Testament. The Bible says that it is a schoolmaster or a teacher that is teaching us about the coming covenant which was going to be in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes you see things in the Old Testament, which is an allegory or a teacher or schoolmaster, that is happening in the physical realm, warfare, battle, bloodshed, mayhem, perversion, so forth, that's happening in the physical realm that is teaching us principles about the spirit realm in the New Testament church. And so obviously we would understand that God is not sanctioning or expecting or requesting or even allowing for God's people to be executing judgment and shedding blood and cutting throats in the modern-day dispensation of grace. But in a sense, what we see in the Old Testament is what we are to be doing in the spirit realm. And so oftentimes things that you see, and let me just read for you a scripture to help uh, uh, give you further understanding of this, something that maybe you've read before. If you have your new... Uh, New Living One Year Bibles. It's from November the 7th. Uh, It's Hebrews chapter number 8. Very interesting. The book of Hebrews is uh, like a key to understanding the significance of the Old Testament and how it relates to us as the church. Uh, Everybody knows what a key is, right? If you're locked out of something, um, you can pound on the door, you can beat on the door, you can force your way in or try to. But a key is something that is designed to give you easy access. And so the key to understanding the Old Testament is understanding the spiritual and physical relationship. The Old Testament being physical, the New Testament being spiritual. The Old Testament coming first because it's teaching us about the spirit realm that's coming. Why, why would we need the Old Testament? The same reason that Jesus used parables to teach. Why would Jesus tell a story about a farmer sowing seed in the field? Why didn't he just come out and say, you know, God's word 
is available. Some people are going to reject it. Some people are going to accept it. Some people are going to reject it and bear a lot of fruit. Some people are going to start. Why did he have to tell the story of the farm first and then give the spiritual principle? Why? Because we're human beings. We're used to the physical realm, right? Amen? We're used to doing everything in the physical realm. We brush our teeth every morning. That's not a spiritual exercise. Amen? You probably could make it to heaven and never brush your teeth. Probably. But I'd hate to be your spouse. God help you. Amen. But these are, we're just living in the physical realm, and God understands that the spirit realm is somewhat mysterious to us. So he uncovers the mystery by revealing it in the physical realm first. That's why he tells the story of a farmer and then relates the spiritual principle. Jesus used parables because he understood that human beings in the physical realm need some tangible uh, teaching tools to help them understand. So to give you that understanding, the whole Old Testament is a physical allegory of teaching tools to teach us about the invisible kingdom of God or the invisible spirit realm that is very real, but you can't see it with your eyes. And in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, it says, here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle. Everyone say heavenly tabernacle. The true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Look down to verse 5. It's talking about the priests that uh, worked in the Old Testament. It said, they serve in a system of worship that is only a copy. Everybody say copy. It's a shadow of the real one in heaven. We're talking about a real tabernacle in heaven. We're talking about a spiritual tabernacle. But the Bible says that the tabernacle that was in the wilderness was a copy, a physical copy of the spiritual tabernacle uh, that was in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him a warning and said, Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. Not because God was an interior designer and liked the aesthetics of the tabernacle. It was because it was making a physical copy of something in the spirit realm. Now, this is the tabernacle. This is extended beyond the tabernacle to the whole Old Testament law. And when you extend it that far, then you realize the entire Old Testament is a shadow or a copy of what is actually going to be happening in the spirit realm. And so when you look at things in the Old Testament and you try to relate them to our life as a Christian here today, they don't necessarily fit and dovetail together unless you understand that what's happening in the Old Testament is happening in the physical realm to show us what should be happening in the spirit realm in the New Testament. See, because we are delivered from slavery as born-again Christians, right? In the Old Testament, they were delivered from a literal taskmaster in Egypt. In the spirit realm, none of us here, I don't think, were actually indentured servants. None of us were slaves, literally. But we were spiritually slaves to the enemy of our soul, Satan, who had us trapped in our sins and in our pride and in our lust. And in all of these habits that were destroying us. So we were, in fact, slaves, but we weren't physical slaves. We were spiritual slaves to the enemy, a spiritual enemy, which was Satan. And when we were delivered from Egypt, so to speak, it wasn't from a physical place, but it was from a spiritual place. So can you see now that everything that happens in the Old Testament is a physical example of what we experience in the spiritual realm in serving God and living for God? 
And so now we move to where we are in our Bible reading, which is in the book of Judges. A time of kind of a spiritual dark ages for the people of Israel. And as we look at the physical things that are happening in Judges, in the story of, of, uh, of Samson, in the story of Gideon, uh, the, the, the story of the various of the 12 Judges that are listed in the book of Judges, we are seeing things that can relate to the church as a conglomerate and can relate to us as individuals. One thing that we mentioned last week is the visible pattern that shows up. You don't have to be a genius to figure out the pattern in Judges. That people are right with God, and then over the process of time, they allow sin and iniquity and idolatry and worldliness to come in to their practices. And next thing you know, they're absolutely worshiping false gods, which is breaking the first two commandments. And they're putting other gods in front of Jehovah. And so then, as a result, God's judgment comes to them, and then God raises up, and they come under the authority of their enemy. Just the same, and can you see that, that perhaps this is a possibility in our own lives? That while God is on the throne and while we're worshiping and serving Him only, and while our priorities are right, we walk in victory. But when we begin to let the things of this world, no, we don't pull out an idol and begin to worship a physical idol. That doesn't happen. I don't think that happens in any of your homes. But what happens to us is we get wrapped up in our, our, our career or our families or things that aren't necessarily evil or wrong, but things that tend to capture our attention and our imagination and we find ourselves not literally bowing down and worshiping our family or worshiping our job or worshiping our education but what we find is we are guilty of a new testament form of idolatry by putting things in front of god everybody understand what i'm saying and as a result spiritually we get into trouble and we find out that the devil takes authority and dominion in our lives again and uh-oh, big problems. We find ourselves bound by lust again. We find ourselves struggling with habits again. We find ourselves not living a victorious, overcoming life again. And it takes, at that point, a deliverer. And that's what the book of Judges is about. These 12 individuals, not all of them even men, but individuals in Israel, that during their time of spiritual decline, and idolatry, and disobedience to God's commands, and subsequent coming under the authority of kingdoms that are still living among them. Uh, the Midianites, the Amalekites, the Philistines, and, and others that are still living within Israel that have not been dispossessed and pushed out. They come back to positions of authority. And then there's the need for a deliverer to stand up and shake Israel and wake them up and bring back victory bring victory back to Israel. So this is a pattern that happens in a believer's life as well. Anybody ever been before where you wake up and you realize, you know what? My life's kind of not like it's supposed to be. I haven't quit believing in God. I haven't given up on the Lord, but I've got these priorities out of whack in my life. And as a result, the enemy of my soul, those things in my life that are still kind of lingering there have taken dominion and authority and a position of power in my life, and I need deliverance. I need to pray through. I need God to give me the victory. And then God brings that victory into our lives. This is the pattern of the book of Judges as you read through Judges. Now, in your hearing, I want to focus just for a few moments on one of the Judges. I'll read to you the list, first of all, of the 12 uh, Judges. 
the book of Judges is roughly a 400-year period between, and here, here's the bookmarks uh, of, of uh, the period of the Judges, which is also just the very first part of 1 Samuel includes the period of the Judges. The, the bookmarks, or, or, or the bookends, that's what I'm looking for. The beginning bookend is Joshua, Joshua's death after they've come into Israel, into the promised land. Okay? So they wandered in the, they've been delivered from bondage. They wandered in the wilderness. They've come into the promised land. They begin to possess the promised land. And then Joshua, their deliverer, dies. This is the beginning bookend of the Judges. And for 400 years, there's this up and down in the cycle of uh, uh, righteousness and unrighteousness, obedience and disobedience, uh, God-centeredness and idolatry for 400 years. And the back bookend is a man named Samuel who anointed the first king of Israel, whose name was Saul, and the second king of Israel, whose name was David. These are the front and the back bookends to this 400-year period when they first came into the promised land called the period of the judges. And the judges are a man named Othniel, the left-handed man named Ehud that we've read about uh, that uh, was a great judge that defeated uh, the chubby king. Uh, Shamgar, who slew uh, a number of uh, the enemy with an ox goad, which was just kind of an implement, a tool. wasn't a, a weapon of war. Uh, Deborah, who was a great prophetess, and, and I think the scripture refers to as a mother in Israel. Uh, Gideon, who was a great judge with 300 men, uh, went out and slew a host of the Midianites and the Amalekites, maybe over 100,000. Uh, started out with 32,000, and God narrowed it down to 500 men. Uh, Tola... Jair, Jephthah, Ibzon, Elon, Abdon, Samson, and some people include Eli and Samuel in the list of the judges. These men that weren't really kings, they weren't really wearing a crown, they hadn't really been called to that purpose, but God calls them as a deliverer to bring Israel out of their, out of their uh, spiritual uh, uh, demise in, in a position of spiritual weakness and also to bring them military victory as well, oftentimes. And so these judges that we are reading about in this period uh, that we're reading about has some significance in relationship uh, to where we are in our personal relationships with the Lord and where we are as a church. Now, April 27th, uh, Judges chapter 7. I want to read a verse of Scripture from Judges chapter 7 from the story of one of the judges. Uh, the man named Gideon, who is one of my favorite judges to read about and study about. While you find in that place, you know, was so awesome in today's reading. I have never noticed this in the Bible before. This is really cool, and this will preach. In uh, today's reading from Judges chapter 15, it said, after, after uh, Samson slew all those people with the jawbone, and he was very thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord, said, you've accomplished this great victory. Now must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? So God caused water to gush out of the hollow in the ground at Lehi, and Samson was revived as he drank. And he named that place the spring of the one who cried out. And it's there to this day. When he was in need, when he lifted up his voice and cried out to the Lord. At that point, a spring of water came to meet his needs. That's why when we come to church for prayer, 
It's not time to just say, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. That's why our prayer has to come from, it's like a primal, a primal cry unto God. God, we need you. We need revival. And we've got to have your help. And we've got to have your help in my family or in a situation. When we cry out to God, the provision comes. And the springs come when we cry out to the Lord. But back there to uh, Judges chapter number 7, uh, uh, verse number 8. Gideon collected the provision, the ram's horns of the other warriors, and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him, only 300 men. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Furah. Listen to what the Midianites, and understand that the Midianites are the enemy here. Listen to what the Midianites are saying and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. Hmm. After you hear what the enemy says, you'll be eager to attack. So Gideon took Furah, or Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. And Gideon has only 300 people. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, Your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. It says, Now when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. And then he went forth into the victory in the battle. Now, as we look at the story of Gideon, this judge in Israel, remember, the Old Testament is a schoolmaster. And there is a physical event that is teaching us about spiritual things that we will encounter. Are you with me now? A physical event, an actual occurrence that is teaching us spiritual principles of engagement in spiritual life. The story of Gideon, very interesting. Because of Israel's disobedience and idolatry, the Bible says that the host or a great number of people from Midian and the Amalekites or the descendants of Amalek and also some others from the east. It doesn't name who they were. But the Bible says that there was a tremendous amount of them, that they were like, like locusts, which would, you know, basically meant that it was just like impossible to number them and their camels. And while what they were doing is the Israelites, the Hebrew people who were supposed to be living in their promised land, would go down into the valleys, plant their crops, let them grow. And when harvest time came, these marauders from Midian and, and, and Amalek came and stole all the crops that they had been working hard to raise so that they would have food for their families. And the Bible says that the Israelites were so fearful and so intimidated by this enemy that they 
ended up living in the mountains in caves and in and hiding places. And these are God's people, and they're supposed to be living in their promised land that God promised to them. But rather than enjoying the fruit of their labors, rather than the blessings of God being upon them, they are up hiding in the caves, in the mountains. Why is this? Well, the Bible lets us know it was because of their disobedience and their idolatry. The Bible lets us know that they were worshiping Baal. The Hebrew people were worshiping the false god Baal. And they had Asherah poles. And they also had uh, high places and groves where they uh, had kind of a, a nursery of plants where they would worship their idols. And this was the place where they would worship false gods. And because idolatry creeped back into Israel and the Hebrew people, even after their last judge came and wiped out idolatry and restored Israel to power, it creeped back in. They lost their significance. Now, understand, we're talking about our spiritual experience with, with God. We were once walking in victory, but because we weren't vigilant as time passed, we allowed our priorities to get back out of whack. We allowed God's position of power and prominence and authority to be taken by other things. And we find ourselves having to hide out from the things that bother us, those spiritual enemies and enemies of our flesh that want to destroy us and take us to hell. And rather than living in victory, rather than being a soul winner, rather than being an overcomer and a worshiper, we're just trying to struggle to survive. You understand what I'm saying? Rather than taking territory and making the devil nervous, uh, we, he has turned the tables on us. And we're intimidated and fearful, wondering if we're going to stumble and fall and make a mistake, wondering if we're going to be able to make it, uh, uh, fearful to be a witness, fearful to declare God's goodness and mercy to us. Because And, the, and it all boils down to this, is somewhere things got out of whack, somewhere God got pushed off the throne. And so Gideon is uh, within this group of people. The Midianites and the Amalekites come and they steal all the crap, the crops. And uh, that was a bad mistake right there. Let's go ahead and laugh. I don't think he wanted any of that. He wanted the crops. And uh, so he, he was coming in and he was stealing all of it. And as a result, the people of Israel were starving. Starving. Just barely trying to survive and make it. That's where peop some people are spiritually. You can see it in their faces. You can see it in their relationship with God. You can see it. In their worship, they're 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 not they haven't turned on God. They haven't given up, but they're just hanging on by the skin of their teeth. They're just trying to make it. And this is the position that the Midianites and the Amalekites were in, and God raised up a judge to deliver and declare. And it was Gideon. The Lord appeared to him and said, "I'm with you, you mighty warrior." And Gideon said, "I know you're not talking about me." Because I'm the least in my father's house, and my father's house is the least in the tribe of Manasseh. You, you can't be talking about, about me. And, uh, and then he said, now, if you're with us, Lord, then how come, you know, I've heard the stories about your great deliverance, about parting the, the, the Red Sea, and, and about how you fed them with manna. And, uh, and now we're here and we're starving. And we've heard about you bringing manna from heaven. How come all of this is befalling us? How come we're under the thumb of the Midianites and the Amalekites? How come this great host has us hiding out if you're with us, God? I don't understand. And the Lord said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to empower you. And you are going to defeat 
the entire host of Midian and the Amalekites as if it's one person. You're going to wipe out the whole host as if they were one person. And so uh, the story goes, as we read in our Bible reading this week, that uh, uh, Gideon was like, wow, um, this is really awesome. Uh, So, God, you're going to do this through me? And God says, yes, I'm going to do it through you. But the first thing you need to do is I want you to go up and I want you to make a mess of the place of false worship in your community. Your dad, his buddies, all the Hebrews in this area, they've been worshiping Baal. And they've actually set up in the middle of a Jewish town, in the middle of a Hebrew land, in the tribe of Manasseh, they're worshiping Baal. And they've got this uh, Asherah or Asherah pole set up. And they've got the groves set up for false worship. And there's people that are all pious about this. And this is false gods. There's important things in their life. Remember, we're talking about spiritual application. There's some people that have exalted some things in their life. And the first thing you need to do is you need to go in and tear it out. Destroy it. Wipe it out. And so Gideon did that. But he was kind of a little wimpy, scared. So he did it at night. He snuck in at night. Like, you know, like people teepee people's houses at night instead of... I've never seen anybody out throwing toilet paper over someone's house in the middle of the day. They always do it at night. Have you ever noticed that? I'm not giving anybody any ideas concerning the... the, the uh, never mind. Uh, they do it at night. And just, just like the same way that uh, Gideon went in at night and destroyed the idols... And before revival, there is always a purging. Amen? You look in history, before revival, there's always a purging and a readjusting of priorities and a putting of God first and a hunger after righteousness. And this is what Gideon was executing by clearing out the groves and knocking down the pole and destroying all this area of false worship. And the next day, when the men of the village woke up and they go out and there their place of false worship has been ripped down and destroyed and the poles knocked over and they're infuriated. Who did this? Who did this? Just like some people when they come out and see toilet paper hanging from their trees. Okay, son, who did this? You know who did this. Well, Dad, are you going to send them to jail? No, but they're cleaning this up, you know. Uh, who did this? Well, the, the word got back to them that it was Gideon, the son of Joash, who had destroyed the groves. And they said, bring him out, find him, we're going to kill him. He has desecrated this sacred place of worship to our idols. Bring him out and let us destroy him. And so they're getting into a rabble to destroy Gideon. And that's what I've seen this happen in revival sometimes. I've seen... Someone stand and declare righteousness and preach to push the things out of our lives. And our flesh kind of bows up. You know what I'm saying? says, let's get rid of the messenger. This guy's messing in our territory. Come on now. It's the flesh. It's the flesh that bows up and says, no, no, you're not going to mess with me. And so, but the neat thing is, is Joash stood up for his boy, for his son Gideon, and said, guess what? You know, you guys are having to fight for Baal. Why can't he fight for himself? I mean, is he so strong? Why don't he take care of his own business? And so they thought about it, and, and they said, okay, well, that's a good plan. Baal, if, you, if you're mad, take care of it yourself. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then they changed Gideon's name to, uh, how do you say it? Anybody remember, like, Baal, 
Jehor or something, something like that, which means God, or which means Baal can take care of his own business. <laughs> and uh, so, so Gideon first of all tore down the uh, grove and the Asherah pole. And now the next step is he says, "Okay, God, I'm believing you, and I'm going to sound the trumpet." He sounds the trumpet. <laughs> and, sorry. <laughs> and as he sounds the trumpet of war, it probably sounded a little more powerful. Than that. <laughs> And uh, so he, he sounds the trumpet of war, and from the various tribes of Israel come the warriors together, and they gather together. But before he goes out to do battle, he says, God, I've got to have assurance that you're with me because I've, we've for so long been in a mindset of intimidation and fear and under the thumb of the enemy. I'm afraid of my addictions. I'm afraid of my weaknesses. I'm afraid of the things that have been plaguing me. I'm afraid of disappointment, of not seeing it happen. And so I don't know if I want to step out and teach a Bible study. I don't know if I want to invite somebody to church. I don't know if I want to take that step forward and, and make the devil nervous. It's been better just kind of appeasing him and kind of staying in my hole and just trying to make it to the other side by the skin of my teeth. But God's saying, no, I want you to step up because i got plans for you. i got plans for you that's going to make the enemy nervous. And so he says, now, God, if you're going to do this, I need you to prove it to me. And so the story goes that he took a fleece, a lamb skin, he placed on the ground and said, God, I want you to prove to me that, uh, that you're, you're really with me. In the morning when I wake up, when I come out, I want this fleece to be sopping wet, and I want the ground all around it to be, try, to be dry. Then I'll know that you're with me. So God's already given him the word. An angel showed up at his house and said, I'm with you. I'm going to fight for you. And uh, so he wakes up in the morning, goes out, and the lamb skin is sopping wet. The ground around is dry, and he's like... That's all I need. No, he's not. He's like, okay, God, now I don't want you to be mad at me, but I just need to be real sure here. So if you're really with me and you're really going to fight for us and we're going to defeat the Amalekites and the Midianites, then tomorrow when I wake up, I want all the grass around to be sopping wet and I want the sheepskin to be dry. And so he wakes up in the morning and Gideon comes out and it's wet all around, and the sheepskin is dry. And he's like, okay, God, I accept that you're with me. And sometimes in our lives, we go through things, and we experience things, and what God is proving to us is that I'm with you. Amen. You know, for instance, this situation that my wife and I have experienced, this miracle with our house, that's not really a spiritual victory, is it? I mean, we're not really seeing new people brought into the kingdom because of that. But that's like God proving to us and showing to us, by the way, you're here on purpose and I'm with you. And I'm going to fight for you. And when it comes down to spiritual battle, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to fight for you and with you. Amen? And so Gideon then, uh, and, and all of us have things like that in our life that God has done to make us assured that he's with us and his hand is upon us. And so uh, so then Gideon goes and he takes his 32,000 soldiers and he's like, we're going we're gonna to go. God's with us. We're going to beat up the Midianites. We're going to tear, tear up the uh, Amalekites. And God says, hold it. You know, there's too many of you. And if all 32,000 go of you and you defeat the Midianites and the Amalekites, it's going to go down in the history books that Israel was powerful and Gideon was a mighty man and he was such a great warrior. And the men were so powerful that they defeated the Midianites and the Amalekites. I don't want history to read that. I want history to read that God did it. Man, God says, no flesh shall glory in my presence. And when we have revival at Life Church, there's no individual that gets any glory. 
When we have a move of God, God will orchestrate it. Amen? So that no, nobody can come back and say, boy, he was smart, or boy, she was a great leader, or boy, he was a great Bible study teacher. It's going to be like, wow, look what God did. And look at how God stepped in and just orchestrated things, made a miracle transpire there. And so he, he, he said, the first step is I want you to just tell, anybody that's scared, go home. And 22,000 out of 32,000 started packing their bags. And imagine Gideon's over packing his bag too, and God's like, hold it, not you, Gideon. Because <laughs> we know Gideon had a little bit of fear problem. He's down to 10,000. He said, okay, God. The odds are stacked against us. Bad now. But I believe you can be with us. we got 10,000 guys. They're, they're brave. They're united. God says, too much. Takes them down. Has them. You, you've heard the story. They go down to the brook, and there they drink from the water. God says, I want you to watch and observe them as they drink. And those that just kind of lay down on the side of the bank and just push their head down the water and just forget about everything and just drink water, right? He said, I want you to send them home. They're, they're not... Uh, and we don't really know why he used this, but people speculated. You know, he wants people that watching happening, and only three hundred out of out of ten thousand. God said, "That's your men. Three hundred of them. Three hundred and a host of thousands and thousands and thousands of Midianites and Amalekites." So here's the point. Now I'm not going to just go through and t- tell you the whole story. The end of the story is. Those 300 men came out, blew trumpets, broke pitchers. And when they blew their trumpets and, and broke their pitchers in the middle of the night, the Midianites and the Amalekites woke up in their tents and they were so confused and disoriented. And no doubt God was sending things through there to confuse them further. Maybe angelic warriors, we don't know. But we do know that they woke up and they turned on one another and their confusion began to kill one another. And those 300 men slew thousands and thousands and thousands of Midianites and Amalekites and then went pursuing it. That's hilarious to me. Here's a massive army of thousands of people running and there's 300 guys after ah, blowing their trumpets and beating their pitchers and God's given them victory because God gave a promise and God stepped through for them. Amen? And God brings about victory in our lives in ways that don't make sense. Amen? That are powerful and life-changing and transformational and, and are a w- wonderful witness and testimony to other people. But the final point that I want to make has to do with the portion of Scripture that we read. And remember, Old Testament physical example of spiritual encounters that we will have in a New Testament church. They're down to 300 men. They're ready to take their pictures and their trumpets. God says it's time. I proved to you by the lamb fleece twice that I'm going to be with you. I sent an angel to speak to you. But if you're afraid or intimidated, if you're still a little bit timid, if you're a little bit backward, if you're, in other words, not sure that you're going to be able to be victorious, I want you to go with your servant, Pura or Fura, down into the camp of the enemy, the Midianites and the Amalekites. And he says... I want you to go listen. That's what we read. It says, I want you to go listen to what they have to say. And after you hear what the enemy has to say about you, at that point, you're going to be encouraged to go and fight them. I love this story. This is an awesome story because Midian, or Gideon and Pura, they go sneaking down into the camp of the Midianites. And I don't know if they got on a Midianite garment and, and put on 
a beard or the glasses, nose, mustache, disguise. But however they did it, they snuck down into the camp at night, into the camp of the enemy. And God said, when you hear what the enemy says about you, then you're going to be emboldened to do what I've asked you to do from the beginning and bring back the dominion and authority to Israel and bring back the power to the church, bring revival to the kingdom. When you find out what the enemy's saying about you, it's going to transform your mindset. It's going to bring fire and faith into your life. And so he goes down into the camp, and we read it in your hearing. As they get down to the tent, the tents of Midian, there are two guys in there conversing with one another. And Gideon and Phura are listening like snooping. They, they didn't walk in. Oh, hey, what's up, guys? They were snooping on the outside. And they heard through the walls of the tent as one guy says, I just had a, the craziest dream. I dreamed that a single piece of bread, like a, like a muffin or a, or a roll, rolled down from the mountains, which remember Israel was up encamped in, in the mountains, in the hills, and rolled right down into our camp here. And that one little piece of bread, that one little muffin or cupcake, rolled down and knocked one of the big tents of Midian down flat. And understand, Gideon and Pharaoh are outside listening to this conversation. And then the other person in the tent says, as, as, you, as is it clear in your reading, says, you know what, I'll tell you what that dream is about. That dream is about Gideon. And I imagine Gideon's outside listening. He's like, just said my name. He's like, wow, they, they know my name. I didn't even know the enemy knew who I was. Let me tell you something. The enemy knows who you are. He says, this is nothing save the sword of Gideon. Because God has delivered the entire host of Midian into the hand of Gideon. So when Gideon went down into the enemy's camp, now we understand we talk about the enemy in a spiritual sense. We're not talking about we're not talking about a person that we're fighting against or a group of people or individuals or even, even financial difficulties or, or, or physical things. It's a spiritual battle we're talking about. There are spiritual forces that control our community that are at work in people's lives, destroying marriages and ruining people's future. That's spiritual forces that are destroying the hope in families and individuals' lives. These spiritual forces are the force of the enemy that's at work in Pasadena. Every time you see a parent abuse a child, that's Satan at work. Every time you see a, a, a marriage that goes to the divorce court, that's the work of Satan in people's lives. Amen? Every time you see somebody addicted to drugs or alcohol, this is Satan at work in somebody's life. Whenever you see somebody who has all the money that they could ever want and they're miserable and unhappy and have no joy, it's Satan at work in their life. Amen? It's the kingdom of the enemy. Our enemy is not Midian. Our enemy is not the Amalekites. Our enemy is not another church. Our enemy is not a, a group of Satanists. Our enemy is the realm of the Spirit, Satan's power in the Spirit realm that's working to destroy families and working to make little children miserable and working to make people's lives feel hopeless. That's who we're fighting against. He's trying to creep into your life and make you feel hopeless and helpless and miserable. That's our enemy, Satan. The deal is, the enemy of our city, 
Spiritual wickedness in high places. The hierarchy in the spirit realm. They know who Life Church is. They know who Francisco is, and they're nervous when they hear his name. I don't know if you believe this or not, but this is true. There are forces of evil that have been established in families for generations. Families that you folks know, where the enemy has taken their children and destroyed them. And Satan understands, the kingdom of hell understands the significance and the power and the influence that you have. And you don't know it. Simon, but Satan knows your name, and the enemy in this kingdom, the, uh, in this arena, in the spirit realm, knows who you are. And if you could just hear what the enemy is saying about you, then it would change your whole approach to spiritual warfare. It would change your whole approach to evangelism. It would change your whole personal mindset of who you are and what you can do through Jesus Christ. See, because there's some warriors in the house tonight. Brother Lorenzo, you have great faith. God is going to begin to operate in your life using this gift of faith that He's given you. Satan would love to trap you in your old traps. You know why? Not just because he can take you to hell, but he's scared of what you're going to do through the gift of faith that's going to operate in your life. There are others of you that have great gifts that the Lord has given you in the Spirit. Many of you have great wisdom and great power and anointing through prayer to tear down strongholds, through your relationships and friendships to tear down the kingdom of the enemy. And Satan knows if I can keep you intimidated, if I can keep you thinking that it's just poor little old you that's barely going to make it and trying to fight off a, a perversion in your life and trying to fight off the habits that you've been struggling with. God wants you to stand up and take authority over it. And I heard a preacher say it this way one time. You need to stop listening to what the enemy is saying to you to keep you intimidated. And you need to find out what he's saying about you. Because when Gideon snuck down into the camp and heard them in the tent saying, this, now understand, this is the enemy speaking. I don't know what your enemy is. Maybe your enemy's pornography. You sneak down into the camp of the enemy and pornography is whispering to another perverse addiction. And saying, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so is going to make havoc in the kingdom of hell. In the meantime, pornography comes and says to you, I've got you by, my, by the throat. In the meantime, lust comes and says, I've got you. By Pride comes and says, I've got you. Attitudes of, of sin and iniquity come and say, I've got you by the throat. That's what they say to you. Attitudes of fickleness and unfaithfulness. They say, I've got you. I'm going to destroy you. That's what they're saying to you. But if you could follow them back to their tent where they talk to their compatriots and they would say, you know what? God has given that person a gift. God has anointed that person with great anointing. Amen. Because the Bible says when Gideon heard the dream and the telling thereof, when he heard what the enemy had to say about him, that he worshipped and he stood up and he went back to the camp and he said, get up, get off your beds, get your lamps, get your trumpets. It's time for us to make the enemy miserable. And if we as a church would ever understand in the spirit realm that God has given us the victory, God has given you victory in your family, God has given you victory in the workplace, God has Given you revival.
God didn't call you to survive. He called you to be a light. God didn't call you to blend into the darkness. He called you to pierce the darkness. God didn't call you to live in the midst of a bunch of unbelievers and try to be an undercover Christian. But God called you, hallelujah, to curse unbelief. To come against those that are lost and in despair and bring hope and bring faith into their life. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Let's clap to the Lord because I feel His presence here right now. Oh, come on. Help me lift him up right now. He's worthy. Come on. Help me lift him up. He's worthy right now. Satala. I don't know what the enemy's been saying to you. Come on, there's some of you that the enemy's been telling you he's got you in the corner. And you're going to fall back into whatever it was that you were struggling with before. The enemy's told you you're not going to make it. You're going to fall. You're going to stumble. You're not going to be anything for God. That's what he's saying to you. And you've been listening to that long enough. You've been believing what the devil's been telling you. But for right now, I'm challenging you to forget what the enemy's telling you and listen to this preacher that says Satan knows your name and he trembles. Satan trembles when he recognizes and understands your influence. If you ever realize what God has promised you. Because there's people in this house tonight, your home where you live is going to turn into a revival center. Listen to what this preacher is saying. People are going to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in your home or your apartment. You're going to start a revival in your workplace. And those people that may make fun of you, those people that may question whether or not what you believe is real are going to begin to turn around. That's the power of the gospel. When you believe what God has promised you. When you believe the word that God has given you. And when you quit listening to the demeaning lies of the enemy. You're not going to give up. You're not going to quit. You're not going to be defeated. You're not the least. Uh, you're not the less. Uh, you're not the one that doesn't have any power or authority. You are God's child. And He's called you and empowered you and equipped you with authority. In the name of Jesus Christ, God, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that the vision, the dream you put in the heart of this young lady, Lord God, that you will fulfill it. The enemy has lied to her, but we don't listen to the lies of the enemy. What you have started, you'll complete. The vision and the dream that you put in his spirit, you will fulfill. In the name of the Lord, we refuse to listen to the enemy, to the lies of Satan. In the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Brother, our God's spoken to you. You need to receive what the word of the Lord is. In the name of Jesus, listen. Speaking to 
you. I need you to find somebody for just a moment right now. I want you to lay your hand on them, on the shoulder, on their head, whatever is appropriate right now. And I want you to begin to speak to them. Speak to them words of encouragement. If you feel the gift of prophecy upon you right now, I want you to prophesy to them of what God's going to do through them. The work of the Spirit that's going to be accomplished in them right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The devil has lied to you. The devil has lied to you. The devil's tried to paint a bleak picture of your future. The devil's tried to tell you you've reached the peak of your potential. That's what he's telling you. But if you knew what Satan was saying about you, he's afraid of you. He knows that you're just in the foothills of your potential. Believe and receive the word of the Lord right now. move around. Let the anointing flow through you. See, the New Testament church is going to have to practice the gifts of the Spirit. You're going to have to speak prophecy to people as the Spirit of the Lord lays it on you and leads you. Follow the leading of the Spirit. Come on, cast off. Cast off that yoke of despair. Cast off that yoke that's a product of the lies of Satan. Come on, let God bring victory and hope, encouragement into your life. Come on, let the gift of the Spirit flow through you. Come on, let's make the enemy nervous tonight. Come on, somebody talk in tongues. Somebody let the gift of the Spirit flow through you. Satan fears your prayer. Come on, there's some ladies in the house that Satan has tried to tell you prayer, prayer doesn't make a difference. Your prayer makes a difference. That's what he said to you, but I, I wish you knew what Satan was saying about you.
Come on, God, if you can use anything, you can use me. God, you give me some a certain amount of influence. You give me a certain amount of giftedness. You put passion in my spirit, Lord God. And I'm not going to waste my passion on basketball. I'm not going to waste my passion on, on a career. But I'm going to put my passion in the kingdom. I'm going to put my giftedness in the kingdom. If you can use anything, Jesus, you can use me, Lord God. I want to be a vessel of honor, Jesus. Rasata lava lava boroshanda lava bakrosataya hila papurno kuruputur vashundula parasita danakrosaya anointing on families anointing on ministries Lord Jesus Hallelujah revelation and understanding Lord God to people Jesus who the enemy has tried to keep under his thumb in the name of the Lord Jesus in the name.
All across this place, lift up your hands one more time. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Spirit of the living God, fall freshly upon us. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to speak a few words and then I'm going to ask us to lift up our voice again one more time. The words that I have to speak to you is thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. You're dismissed to leave at any time. Thank you for being here and being patient and listening to the word of the Lord. I trust that you've been encouraged. We're going to lift up our voice again and those that want to continue to pray, you're welcome to pray as long as you want. Those of you that need to go, I want to encourage you to allow, uh, let you know that you're allowed to go. You're uh, free to go at this time. If you're going to converse, just step out into the lobby or outside. Hallelujah. Let's lift up our voice one more time again to the Lord.
Come on, Satan is a liar. I want to speak the word right now. The devil is a liar. Bondage is a product of lies of the enemy. Deliverance comes from understanding that God has given it to you. Refusing the lies of the enemy and accepting what God is doing. God, I accept what you're doing in our church. I accept what you're doing in my life. I reject what the enemy has told me for years. I accept what you have promised me, Lord God. I accept my destiny. I accept my future, Jesus. Thank you. 